South Florida, you know, um, is a, is a collector's, a collector's wet dream and an ecologist's nightmare right now. This podcast is brought to you by Alda, where we connect you with some of your favorite sustainable brands. Be sure to check us out at alda.life. Or you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Alda Lifestyle. I almost forgot something. Protect your wild. Welcome everyone to the Protect Your Wild podcast. I'm your host, Avnash, and I'm here with... Colin Campbell. And our special guest, Chance. Happy to be here, guys. Sweet. So let's get this started. Uh, Chance, tell us more about yourself. How do you know Colin? Because I know you guys have some history. Uh, yeah, we went to uh, we went to middle school together. Actually, that's how we started off as friends. And then we went to rival high schools in the same city. Um, and we we always lots kept of pretty fist close. Fights there. Do what? Yeah. So lots of fist fights there. You know, there was, there was tough rivalry. Yeah, absolutely. It was a lot like you ever seen West Side Story. Uh, no. There's a lot of uh, back alley snap snapping wars and things like that to musical numbers. Yeah. Um, it's very and weird. And then uh, he he went to UF and I took the Santa Fe route, but we stayed in the same city for a while, so we, we stayed pretty connected. And we used to hey, we used to do parkour together back in the day, so we've always been pretty close. Yeah. Mm, nice. And part of that closeness, the interest in animals, that's definitely, you know, one thing, obviously, that we've kind of both always had different pets of different varieties, but oh yeah, you specifically with reptiles has been your, your primary interest, right? Oh, yeah. Ever since I could, ever since I could walk and talk, man, it's, uh, I, I, when I, when I hit elementary school and I discovered that there was a library, <laughs> I checked out every single book that you could possibly check out on, on reptiles. And when I read mm-hmm. all those, that's when I read all the other animal books. But I checked out the snakes books and the lizard books multiple times. So I, from a very early age, I was, I was studying everything I could read on, on the topic of herpetology. And that's, it's been a lifelong passion ever since. Nice. How do you think that started? I, you know, I don't, it was... I think there's um, an innate fascination that some people have with them, and it's hard to put into words. But I've run into it uh, amongst other people in the community. It's you just you can't really put your finger on it. But from from an early early age, it's just uh, fascination is the closest is the closest word you can use to articulate. And um, once you start learning about them and their natural history and their behavior and 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 what makes them so unique, it it only the fascination only increases and it expounds upon the the innate ineffable draw that you already had so mm-hmm. can't really explain what was, <laughs> what was the first uh reptile you remember you know kind of interacting with and playing with um the first reptile that i definitely interacted with um was to be honest it was probably a brown anole uh True, which yeah. are little cuban invasives uh they've been over here forever um and they're very well established here and, and most people in florida have them in their yard they're the little brown lizards you see on your fence um but you know the one of the first memorable encounters my first snake was a yellow rat snake uh now known as an eastern rat snake too the taxonomy changes so often but uh that was definitely my first snake and and uh that i 
caught alive. Uh, my family was a was a firm group of only good snake is a dead snake um, mm. mantra preaching people. Um, so it took me it took me years and years and years, and it's still it's still a full time job to to get them to. But they've all not a one of them will kill a snake anymore. They all respect and admire. That's them. good. If 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 only from a distance, some of them. But I, <laughs> right, I, right. I've gotten some of them to where they'll handle snakes and things like that now, and and they respect their ecological niche and the importance and the and the respect that they deserve. So I mean, it they're they've come a long way. So nice. Um, yeah, they they used to uh, the first couple snakes. I actually, uh, my mom has a story that she tells people um, when I was still in diapers, so I couldn't I couldn't articulate my feelings. Uh, there was a little black snake that was on the porch in in Tennessee at our lake house and. Uh, they beat it to death for lack of a better oh, term, like right in front oh, of man. me. I didn't and see it <laughs> taking that turn. <laughs> I thought yeah, it was going to well, be a cute story. Nope. Well, they it, beat the it, shit it, out it, of it right in front of me. Yeah. It, unfortunately. <laughs> Swung that she, shit around. <laughs> but she remembers very specifically um, when they would, when they, it, it was a place of fear for them. You know, this right. is, this is a creature that they didn't understand. And, and all fear comes from a place of misunderstanding pretty much in any context that you put it in, but especially animals. Um, and while they are acting out of fear and, and hitting and striking this creature, she vividly remembers looking over at me. And every time she would hit it, I would wince. Mm. I would visibly wince and she didn't get it at the time. And I couldn't articulate myself. I was still just, you know, a toddler or a child. And, um, it wasn't until years later that she realized that I was not, it wasn't kosher with me to be right. snakes to death. And so it's, yeah. you know. Yeah. Interesting. So it was like in your house or on the porch? It was just out on our porch, but you know, it, okay. it, it was, it was their upbringing. You know, it was the, mm -hmm. the only good snake is a dead snake sort of thing. They didn't, there was, there's no, uh, there wasn't a whole lot of preaching of, of ecological food yeah. web balance or anything like that so i mean admittedly one of my earliest memories in micanopy florida you know we lived near lake Wahlberg up there um was of my dad killing a rattlesnake that was you know basically around our yard all the time and with mm -hmm. you know we were little little kids three years old four years old and it, it's definitely there's those occasions where it can be pretty dangerous if you know there's a and but yeah, there's, there's better ways to go about it, probably like, you know, relocating as opposed yep. to <laughs> there's, dropping the um, hammer. There's it, the, the United <laughs> States is very lucky. You know, we we aren't uh, we aren't third world by any stretch uh, right. in, in regards to medical attention and and uh, attention and understanding for our local wildlife. So our snake bite deaths are incredibly low uh, in comparison to the rest of the world. We have uh, somewhere in the range of like 10 a year, 10 snake bite deaths a year. And uh, uh, from people attempting to, to kill a snake and getting bit in the process. Very few incidental a year. And a lot of people don't realize that. They uh, they hear the wives' tales of diving out of trees into boats and chasing people and chasing animals and things like that. And they, they kind of take that and fabricate but snake bites are actually pretty rare and mm -hmm. almost never fail in the United States. So. Have you have you heard that wives tale of the hoop snake? What's a hoop snake? That it <laughs> bites its tail and would roll at you down a hill or something. <laughs> that was something I oh heard about. Uh -oh. That's ridiculous. Chance you're freezing There's, off a little bit. See to that. Uh, hmm. Are you good now? 
Is he coming in okay for you, Avnash? Uh, yeah, he's coming all right. A little jumpy, but yeah, it's still good. <laughs> okay. Um, um, yeah. It, it it did just start storming where I'm at, so that oh, could be Florida. It could be oh, yeah. Florida. Does the, does a hurricane right coming? <laughs> it's it's on its way. It should be here tomorrow. In fact, it's nice. it's funny. Uh, a lot of a lot of people are evacuating the hurricane, and I'm strongly considering going to Horseshoe Beach because there's going to be a lot of rattlesnakes and things on the move. So <laughs> true. Yeah. All the <laughs> animals about are going and it. seeing what I can see. Yeah. 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 Interesting. Um, so, so on the topic of like, uh, you know, like snakes caught me on your porch or in your house, how should you get them out? Because uh, I remember like I had a snake in my garage and um, my instinct was to grab a shovel and do the thing kind of thing. Um, do what? But my mom was like, uh, kill it. <laughs> uh, yeah, sure. Well, it's, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty natural to have that aversion to snakes and uh, you know, yeah. it's, it's fight or flight. And the reason we have that is because back before there was any, you know, medical technology, the people who had whatever gene made you not afraid of snakes got bit by snakes and they didn't make <laughs> it. So they didn't pass yeah. their genes on very effectively. Yeah, so yeah that's true. Are. So um, I was, Chance, I was, are you I was less about evolved? to do it. Do what? I'm, are you I, saying you're less evolved? I could be. To the benefit of serpents everywhere, yeah. Potentially. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so anyway, um, instead of, uh, you know, using the shovel, my mom was like, you, you're not allowed to kill a snake because in our religion, there are, you know, religious significance or, or something like that. So are she's like, Southern don't kill Baptist? it. Southern Baptist? Uh, no, no he's not Southern Baptist. There's no way. <laughs> So yeah, she's like, "Don't kill the snakes." So I was like, "All right, how am I gonna get out of the house? Like, it's in the garage. It's gonna, you know, get inside." So um, she gave me vinegar, and I just like made like a circle of vinegar, and that kind of shooed it away. I think the smell will just like piss it off, and I was like, "Nope," <laughs> and swam out of there. Um, Is that, that was in South Africa. No, this is in America, and South um, Africa is different. Um, did, did he did he retreat like out of the open garage door, or what was? The, uh, yeah, we had the garage door completely open, and we kind of made like an arc, so the snake kind of skedaddled out. Well, I, like, oh, uh, I mean, did not know vinegar did did that. I'm not. I'm not. Yeah, I'm not 100% sure whether his uh, he didn't like the smell of vinegar or not, but uh, in all likelihood, too, it had something to do with the fact that you were approaching him because right. even a yeah. <laughs> even a large, menacing, venomous snake doesn't want anything to do with you because uh, it, worst case scenario for him is having to use his venom. It's a very yeah. biologically expensive uh, resource for them, you know, and they use it for hunting. So if they can save it and use it for giving themselves calories and not wasting it on defending themselves from something that they're not trying to eat, then they will avoid it uh, at all costs. That's why we have dry bites. It's why we have mock strikes. And it's why their first instinct is always, almost always to flee or stand mm -hmm. their ground if they don't think they can flee. Um, <clears throat> so I, he was probably just scared and left. That's what I would say. Um, a big, uh, that's pretty cool. A big, uh, a big, um, tip we like to give people is if a snake is in your yard or on your porch or somewhere where you don't mind it getting wet uh go to a garden hose just spray them with a garden hose and they really they're not a big fan of it and they will move on and if you just keep spraying them they're gonna get the hint and they will just keep moving uh, if, if it's inside and you're and you're too it's not a, a convenient spot to to soak with potentially gallons of water um uh, a broom and a old trash can or, or anything like that. Anything where you can keep yourself at a safe distance while 
putting that snake in it, not coming in contact with the snake, especially if you can't identify it. Um, and that's yeah. the other thing. The One of the biggest safety tips I can give anybody has nothing to do with handling, and it's know your local snakes. Um, mm-hmm. I get... I get flooded daily with hundreds and hundreds of photos of, of decapitated rat snakes and decapitated garter snakes and decapitated water snakes saying, is this a copperhead? Is this a water moccasin? Is this a rattlesnake? Or, or I'm sure this is a water moccasin. I'm sure this is a copperhead, et cetera, et cetera. And they're usually wrong. And even when they are right, I don't recommend attempting to dispatch it yourself. That's you, you learn your snakes and respect them from a distance. And if you really need to, there are people around you. Uh, I can almost mm-hmm. guarantee it. Uh, there are people around yeah. you who are qualified to handle it, and they'll come remove it for you uh, without you having to put yourself or the snake at risk. So, yeah, yeah, that's a good tip. So, so you did a lot of your growing up and youth years in South Florida, right? I did. I did. Did, did that kind of influence? Because I, I know I remember you telling stories about like going around catching green iguanas and stuff like that when you're down there, right? Yep. So there, uh, the <clears throat> South Florida, you know, um, is a is a collector's a collector's wet dream and an ecologist's nightmare right now. Uh, hmm, mm-hmm. You can get. If <laughs> that's a good. That's a good quote. <laughs> yeah. If you're a, if you're a collector of herbs, if you're into the husbandry, there's a lot of people who love going down to South Florida because there is. There's a little slice of, of everything, and I actually think it's – I think it would be a pretty amazing study to analyze how there are multiple species with established breeding populations within the same geographic area who fill the same niche ecologically, and that's pretty impressive for me. Like, like there's a lot of species that you would think would outcompete one another that seem to be able to at least – uh, to some degree, maintain uh, cohabitation with something else that that fills their ecological niche. But you can find pretty much anything from anywhere. There's, so, is there just an abundance of food? I guess is that what enables that to happen? Um, the climate is the climate is almost perfect for just about anything. Even temperate species that that tend to uh, stay closer to either <laughs> pole uh, find that Florida, even on its worst days, is habitable. And and on its worst days, they can at least find shelter. But there's the it's such a mild climate for them, and it's so perfect for them that there's not much that can't can't make it here. Um, there's we have you know obviously tegus from South America. We have amoebas from South America. We have boa constrictors from South America. We have agamas from Africa. We have monitors from Asia. We have Burmese pythons from Asia. There's things. They, there's pretty much you can find something from anywhere. The Caribbean, mm-hmm. we have iguanas. You know, there's 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 an invasive to suit any continent <laughs> in South Florida. Damn. Yep. Yeah, it's I know. Cute. You see those news stories, of course, in the winter of the iguanas, you know, freezing up, <laughs> getting cold, yep. and dropping out of trees and stuff. Yep. yep. Right. <clears throat> People think Florida's crazy just because of the alligators. It's like, nah, bro. There's a lot yep. of shit. <laughs> there's a lot of shit out there now. We got six foot lips dropping out of trees. You know, what's funny yeah. too is a lot of people don't understand uh and and i wouldn't expect them to what brumation is which is kind of like uh like a low-key hibernation sort mm-hmm. of thing that reptiles go into and um uh, they'll they'll see an iguana drop out of a tree on a cold day and they'll think it's dead and they'll be like hey you know i'm gonna take it home and you know do something whether show it off or what i don't know what their intentions are but there's been a lot of reports of people putting <laughs> it's a new dog toy I, I guess so uh there's been a lot of reports of people putting iguanas that have roommating in their car and then when, oh, that, no. when that heat kicks in, and, and, <laughs> you know, a couple miles down the road from where they put it in there, that iguana starts coming too because he's warm. And all of a sudden, there's a feral wild iguana 
potentially a big one in your car, and they're fast and they are some claws. Yep, and they're <clears throat> sharp claws and they're uh, shockingly strong for their size. So that's not it. It's like having a small raptor in your car all of a sudden. <laughs> oh dang! Yeah, vegetarian Dude. though. They're not gonna try and eat you. Yeah, yeah, but I know that I've seen you come through with uh, some scratches up your arms <laughs> when we were younger and stuff. It definitely, is I know they can they the can job. snag you. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. You don't you don't get away without getting bit right. or scratched. Interesting. Yeah. Wow. What's the most uh, dangerous animal you've handled? Um. So I am doing my uh, in Florida. You have to do to to have a captive license for venomous snakes. You have to do a thousand hours working a mentorship under somebody who already has their license. Um, and so I do, I've been doing mentorship and, uh, through that, through getting my hours, I've handled Eastern diamondbacks. I've handled, uh, obviously cottonmouths and copperheads. I've handled all of the local species. Mm-hmm. Um, I've handled a monocle cobra. Um, I've handled a gaboon viper. I've handled, uh, I said most dangerous. That's a hard one to, is it, to- mo- is it usually snakes just because of venom that would be considered most dangerous? I would say, I would say the few, <clears throat> the few opportunities I've had to work with crocodilians, uh, crocodilians, there isn't, if you're around trained people and you're doing safe practices, it's not nearly as high of a, uh, risk, risk mm-hmm. I, I would say than than working with venomous snakes. So venomous snakes would definitely be the most. And if I had to pick one, I'd say probably the Eastern diamondback or the cane break, uh, if not the gaboon, one of them, because they definitely have the most, uh, potential to harm me with their venom. Uh, if I was to make a mistake, but luckily I'm extremely careful as all good keepers and, uh, trainees <laughs> should be. Mm-hmm. Ah, interesting. Yeah, and, that, and so that license, um, what is it? entail you to do like what does it not allow you to do um so it is it would be a sale essentially is kind of the legal jargon for it but what it allows you to do is uh it gives you the qualification to handle legally in florida because um and this isn't the case in every state but in florida it is illegal to handle uh native or non-native venomous snakes without a permit which you know we're not here to discuss uh the ludicrousness or the uh sometimes uh misguided laws uh, that, that surround our ecology <laughs> that's the case they, in a lot of industries of yeah, course right? we, all know, we all know they exist but uh you're you're more than free to dismember a snake or torture it or cut it up into pieces or beat it to death or anything you want to do but you're mm-hmm. not legally allowed to relocate it you're not legally allowed to handle it uh, and most oh. most FWC officers are uh, generous enough that if you are just relocating a venomous snake off your property or something along those lines, they're not they're not out to 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 screw over the little guy like that. But it is it is worthy of note that you're it's illegal to handle here. Um, mm-hmm. So it would lo- it would allow me to handle. It would allow me to keep privately, as in I would have I'd be able to have my own private collection of uh, venomous snakes, which would be. You know, beneficial to some people, it, simply for the novelty of having a collection. I know, I know people who who keep venomous just because they want to keep venomous. They're fascinated with them, and they keep them just like someone keeps a bearded dragon. Um, but for me, it would be much more for the ability for me to go out and do field work at my leisure. It would be the ability for me to do relocations and rescues at my leisure, 
it would be for me to be able to do exhibitions and educational outreach at my leisure um, and, and not have to worry about operating under agency of somebody else or uh, having some sort of research permit or something like that. So it would allow me uh, freedom to pursue the uh, avenues of education that I would like to pursue with venomous snakes. So that's, that's my main goal. I never want to have a, a, a 4,000 snake collection of every <laughs> right. subspecies in Africa. I, I want my natives and I want a couple, maybe a couple showy species for the education purpose, basically, is, is my yeah. goal. That makes sense. Sweet. Yeah. Yeah. Did Did you have any like mentors or influences? I guess that kind of sparked or or you know helped be a catalyst for your interest in in reptiles and kind of keep you going over time. You mean like celebrity, like like big name? I mean the big name. I'm Say sure Steve Irwin. And- <laughs> There's an elephant stuff. in the room. There's a big Australian elephant in the room. Anytime you say influences like that around a nature person, and yeah. that would be that would be Steve Irwin himself. Uh, yeah. Are there any in person though, outside of the good old Steve Irwin? Eh, but um, we can talk about Steve Irwin too because he's a legend. I would say I actually didn't. I didn't have the. Uh, if you mean like growing up, the the a person who instilled sort of firsthand those that passion and that fascination i actually didn't really have that it was a very self-motivated self-driven thing and i was not to not to play a violin or anything but it was kind of like a lonely thing at times because i didn't meet other snake lovers and i didn't even meet other wildlife lovers for Mm -hmm. quite some time i only got involved in like real ecological outreach in the past few years because i didn't realize how many people there were around me especially through the university of florida that that really are boots on the ground trying to accomplish things. Um, so yeah, it's been really refreshing the past, especially the past year, uh, being able to uh, do so many academic oriented events and being able to, to, to meet and network with so many people who share the same ideals and the same values and the same long-term goals as I do. And, and it really, it's it, that was definitely a boost, but growing up, it was all the TV icons, you know, Brady Barr, Austin Stevens, to an extent when I was a kid. Uh, Steve Irwin, Jeff Corwin, uh, David Attenborough. Oh, yeah, obviously. Jeff Corwin, I forgot about him. Yeah, yeah. he's a good uh, one. Yeah. David Attenborough was a huge one. Um, and, and all of them, it's it's funny now because they were, they were a generation that wildlife hosting was a bit of a pioneering sort of Wild West field at that time. There were no real regulations. There were no like best practice managers to tell you what you should and shouldn't do with animals in front of a camera. And so um, we do look back at them through a certain lens today, especially people who are in the ecology field. And there's a lot of practices that some of them did that you cringe at a little bit now. Some of the the sensationalism, some of the the handling practices and things like that. But but you can't you can't argue their impact because a lot of the people, myself very much included, are direct products of those, of those wildlife hosts and we wouldn't a lot of millennial conservationists would not be millennial conservationists if it was not for animal planet circa 2005 <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know? yeah the good old days before it was all like uh, dog rescues or whatever yeah and tree <laughs> houses now. and what and tree like, houses, yeah. Even, yeah that's <laughs> cool uh, where's the animal i don't know exactly. there's animals and trees fuck off like <laughs> exactly exactly nice yeah. Are you a fan of uh, Coyote Peterson? Oh, man, this is going on the internet, isn't it? Um, uh, 
it is <laughs> going out there to the world. Where do you, you stand know, on a, coyote? I'm certainly not afraid to defend my opinions. You know, I have them for a reason. Um, sure. There is Coyote Peterson means well. He really does, yeah. and his his heart's definitely in the right place. I think at times, and I think he doesn't mean to come across any sort of incorrect message, but. He represents what I've been calling lately uh, a little bit of a canary in the coal mine, so to speak, or a litmus test, if you will. He, he's an indicator for a, a, a blossoming market that has yet to be properly tapped, and that is network television is dead. I think you know most of us here, since we're on a Skype call right now, can agree that network television is pretty dead. Mm-hmm. Um, but the audience is is not dead for wild right. hosting. The audience is still there. It's just the new generation full of kids just like me growing up. Media, who are, right. Exactly. And the new form of media is going to be online. It's going to be YouTube channels. It's going to be streaming services. It's going to be things of that nature. And people like Coyote Peterson and there are others who I'm not going to name unless you name them. Um, <laughs> they are – they're kind of passing – <laughs> yeah, well, and it's not, not much competition if you really look at the products closely. But um, I like uh, it. I like they, that um, <laughs> they they are tapping into a market. They have enthusiasm, or they have sensationalism, or they have some sort of brand that they're bringing that is that is being very successful at the moment because it is tapping into a relatively uh, a need that isn't being fulfilled. You know, yeah. there is that audience that wants to see wildlife hosting and wants to see wildlife television. And there is no Steve Irwin anymore. There is no today's Steve Irwin. Um, and that is to say that people like Heidi Peterson have all the enthusiasm, but they're not necessarily um, preaching the right message, so to speak. He's, he's very sensational. He gets bit by everything. Right. He's very danger, danger. He took all of that aspect from old wildlife hosting and didn't bring any of the contextual knowledge didn't bring any mm-hmm. of the fulfilling the fascination from a scientific perspective and it doesn't need to be uh you know uh, a bio lecture but it also right. doesn't need to be watch me free handle this code yeah, jackass like jackass exactly. with animals or yeah. whatever exactly and i i hate to use that term but that is there's a lot out there who are who are kind of treating it like jackass with animals and it's uh it is definitely something that if you're not a wildlife person and you're not into ecology, you're going to look at and it's just going to remind you of the old days and it's going to be interesting to watch, but it is a bit of a slippery slope and it's a little dishonest. And, and to an extent, all it does is perpetuate that wildlife is dangerous again. Mm -hmm. And it, 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 you know, the more you say, look at this deadly, 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 dangerous, deadly, deadly, deadly snake, the more someone is going to go, all right, I'm going to kill that snake when I see it because it's dangerous, deadly, 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 and there's no reason Right, right. Whereas I think Steve Irwin approached almost every animal with so much love is crazy. He overcame overcame his lack of scientific contextualization with raw passion and love and he did he's the he was the most he probably cared more about animals than anyone who's ever lived emotionally and i think there's never a moment you you feel it through the fact that you can be you know a kid sitting on your couch watching a television really feel this guy's like enthusiasm and see it in his eyes and his actions and everything that he does he, he really was a, a a special you know human that we were He's lucky enough to to have you know Absolutely. the media be in a time where he could be famous worldwide you know what i mean mm-hmm. and inspire kids worldwide 
Absolutely. He catches yeah. a lot of flack in scientific communities these days because of, like I said, his handling practices and his and his he's a, it was a sure. little bit of sensationalism because you know of course he's a danger still TV like still that. entertainment in exactly. that sense so it's kind of like but yeah no one's going to claim that he wasn't enthusiastic or and, and sincere and definitely no one's going to claim that he wasn't the most impactful wildlife host of all time you can't even have a conversation of who's the most <laughs> influential influential wildlife host without setting him aside first. And right, like, okay, right, right. Besides Steve, who's the yeah. most influential wildlife host? It's like Michael Jordan before LeBron came along. Exactly. It was like, who's the best in the world? You know, besides MJ. You know? Right. Yeah. Right. That's based. That's very, very similar conversation. Um. So I, I don't know if if you guys wanted to to go into it, but that actually brings me yes. to, I, in the very near future, once some of my other projects come to fruition and are up and running and, and, and moving at full tilt without my constant, you know, attention, uh, I plan on, on spearheading a, a sort of wildlife media that will be, um, that will strike a fine balance between the enthusiasm and the love that wildlife hosts like Steve Irwin brought and the scientific context that, well, I, I don't know if you've gone back recently and go back and watch a Jeff Corwin experience special. And mm-hmm. um, he is one of the things he was very good at. And he had flaws, too. They all did. And no one's perfect. Sure. But one of the things he did incredibly well was when he was handling something or when he was describing something, he would sprinkle in information and uh, scientific context and natural history and behavior and things like that. And he would sprinkle it in. And he would do it in such a way that you could use the surrounding context to not feel dumb. Like, for example, if you didn't know what arboreal meant, he would mm-hmm. describe something as arboreal and then relate it to, you know, living in the trees and things like that. And you could go, oh, arboreal means living in the trees. I learned, right, that. I learned that today. You know, yeah. and he would, he would do that with the scientific names of things, you know, the, the binomial nomenclature. And he would do that with all sorts of uh, different aspects of whatever animal he was working with. And I think that's something that needs to be reincorporated because you don't see any wildlife host doing that anymore. It's very, this right. is dangerous. This is dangerous. Watch me get bit. Watch me catch it. That sort of thing. So, so is this primarily going to be like, uh, obviously the visual side of it and the video side of it is probably the most important than going to be through YouTube or through videos that's, or you, you know the there's that's lots the, of options with media yeah, stuff of course yeah that's the bridge that i'm definitely gonna have to cross uh as i as it gets really really close and i have to make a decision uh, right now i'm working on sort of the structure of it and i'm not sure if i want it to be um it started off as a personal thing like it was just going yeah. to be my brand and it was going to be potentially me and one other person's brand now uh we're going to do like a crap brothers sort of thing where there's two of us like dual hosting. And, um, but the more people I've been able to network with lately, the more I see an opportunity for all of these very unique and very qualified voices to need a platform. I, I, I rub mm-hmm. shoulders every day with people who deserve to be able to express their knowledge and express right. their passion. Have like it's a public like, voice, like to be on a platform yeah. where more people, you already have more ears and mm-hmm. eyes looking that way. Yep. And now you're allowed to bring on, you know, qualified people that know what the hell they're talking about and love what they do. Exactly. To be able to speak to an audience. Yeah. A, a conglomerate of sorts, sort of where, you yeah. know, me and my associate would provide the backbone, you know, with the content that we already planned on providing. But 
if we could somehow create the vessel through which we could bring other voices in and let them be heard and let them be seen, that would that is the end game. Because I want mm-hmm. there there is a flavor of conservation for everyone out there. You know, if sure. you think I'm a little too brash or a little too verbose or you just don't like guys who can't grow beards or whatever there's somebody else out there right there's somebody else out there who you would love to watch talk about animals and there's someone who deserves that 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 opportunity and so i do kind of want to provide that platform eventually and that's one of my goals too that that's on the list but it's a it's an ever-growing list that i'm only checking off so far oh i know it i know it man i yeah (laughs) i'm definitely excited to see where you start going with this because i you know, with all this stuff right now, we're at a similar point where we're realizing the value that there is in media and the potential to connect, like for sustainability and my whole thing with, with companies, right, is I want to connect people with brands that do business the right way, that use the right materials, that treat their employees right. Um, but I'm realizing I don't want to sell shit. Like I don't want to be the retailer. I would much rather be um, fig- figure out another way to monetize it, right? Another way to partner with these brands, have a brand sponsor a video that's based around some problem and sustainability that their brand is helping solve, things like that. And um, yeah, the points you made about new media and everything, there's there's like a, you can monetize, you know, you can have an Instagram, you can make a living off of Instagram. That alone yep. is crazy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> You can literally just have an Instagram and make make like a good good living off of it. Yeah, comfortable um, for sure. Yeah, so I, I definitely think that yeah, there's there's a somewhere in there you got to find like where you get your foot in the door and specialize right, and then how you can start um, scaling in a way that you you give the others like yourself who are interested in having a, a voice the platform to, to stand on and the infrastructure to work within that's already set up for them. Um, mm-hmm. and yeah, I, I absolutely love that idea. Yeah. Um, I do have, uh, I, I, you not, not to shill or anything, but I am, I have an Instagram as well that I manage. That's like a wildlife Instagram. And I unfortunately let it go dormant for a year recently because <laughs> yeah. I, was, I was working it's on some other project. It was, yeah, it was, roommate. <laughs> it was just roommate. It was um, and I, I just reactivated it. So that is, you know, any sort of social media branding that you can do in the meantime, I would stress mm-hmm. to someone too, who has the same kind of goals as me, uh, is, is just make content, even if it's social media content, even if it's your Instagram, even if it's, it's on Facebook to your friends, you know, uh, they'll yeah. forgive you make content and put <laughs> it out there and start getting your voice out there as much as you can, because people will start listening. It's miraculous. And you'll start meeting people in the industry or, Industry is the wrong word. Community is definitely a better word. You'll start meeting people in the community who will be able to help you and give you a boost, and you'll boost them later. And, and it, it's a very collective effort, you know, because we all have the same kind of end game. So for sure, yeah, for sure. Thanks. Um, so what is with this kind of like? What do you want your long long term vision to be? You know, not not just like five years out because five years will go by in a flash, but like, you know, just in a from a vision standpoint, like where do you where do you see this going, and how do you you know I'm a, want I'm it a, to impact your life and others? I'm a firm believer in you know the whole shoot for the stars mentality. You know, your dream oh, can't your dream can't be too big. Cause you fall short, you hit the moon. Exactly. And how bad is that? I don't know. There's no oxygen. You die, but it's fine. Yeah, it's fine. You still you know you're you're in space. I think that was your goal anyway. Um, so. I, I still am a, a little bit have a little bit of enough youthful exuberance to, to dream big and I, I want 
to touch on Steve Irwin again, his facility that he left to his family uh, is is one of the most mind-boggling examples uh, of of you know started from the bottom. Now we're here in the entire you know conservation field. The Australia Zoo uh, started as a little tiny reptile park that was managed by his dad and him, really? and it had like it had like. 10 crocodiles and a carpet python and it was like a couple of acres it was very small it was nothing to speak of and now the australia zoo is one of the largest most uh, involved and most proactive wildlife organ like conglomerations in the entire world they have their entire own veterinary hospital on site which (laughs) there are there are cities who can say that much less a right. zoo. They're a zoo with an entire could could do well standing on its own veterinary hospital on site, which is incredible. And they have so much reach and so many different aspects. You know, they're constant and continuous partnership with Animal Planet <laughs> and all of the local uh, conservation they do, and all of the endangered species research and, and and breeding and things that they do. Like they are a good example and, and sort of a uh, a very loose model of kind of what I want to go for. I. If I retire one day and it's my perfect world, it's my utopia, then I have created a, a conglomeration of similar proportions. It would be some huge, massive entity that could easily influence and reach any aspect of conservation that it wanted to, whether it be media, whether it be rescue, whether it be rehabilitation, whether it be education, whether it be um, you know outreach, whether it be like venom research in the in the backwoods of india or you know dolphin research in the gulf of mexico like i having an an organization and an entity that could be a powerhouse in conservation is one day my my probably my biggest goal and you know if that's not a little bit too big or a little bit too far-fetched in a way i'm not impressed can you uh up the ante a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, I want to own the world. Like, I don't... <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no. That is that is the goal. Is to... I like it. Nice. Yep. Oh, that's sweet. sweet. I, I, I agree. I think there's too many people that dream too small. And I think if... I think nobody gets very far who doesn't have ambition. You know what I mean? Absolutely. There's a lot of people who have ambition and fail or give up, and that's fine. But I guarantee you won't get that far if you don't have ambition to begin with. So. Yeah, and if you if you dream big and you only make 75% of your dream, if your dream was big enough, that thing you created <laughs> yeah. is still going to be a, objectively a beautiful and you know large thing. Like you know, if, yeah. if I dream for the moon and I only get. Uh, a, a meteor like that's still a meteor like it's 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 mm-hmm. still something yeah. you know yeah absolutely all right shall we uh hop into our test our here game. the two truths and a lie yeah totally let's sure. start it. crush it <laughs> um, <laughs> what's what's the what's the genre of this two truths and a lie all gonna um, be in, in your wheelhouse of reptile stuff. Oh, okay. So you'll, yeah. you'll do just fine. <laughs> oh man, we're gonna, we, you guys are gonna uh, blow my cover as a phony. I got, I don't, I don't know anything. <laughs> Careful, yeah. Uh, Colin, you want to take the first round? All right, yeah, yeah. So to lay out the rules real quick. We do okay. three rounds. Each round has three facts, quote unquote. Of course, one of those facts is not a fact. Um, okay. So two truths and a lie. Your typical, 
I don't know, drinking game, whatever. But yeah, sure. uh, <laughs> so two two of the things you're gonna say are going to be absolutely true, and one right, of them you got to pick the lie. Fair right, enough. right, right. Um, so and then if you can like after we'll say it, walk us through your thinking, your process a little bit, process of elimination and what have you, and you know anything we want to talk about, we will, and then we'll go to the next round. So okay, uh, round one. Um, there are over eight thousand species of reptiles on the planet. Number two, fact number two, uh, green iguanas are the number one cause of power outages by animals in South Florida. (laughs) And number three, uh, most reptiles are ectothermic. Meaning that would be warm-blooded, wouldn't it? Wait, ectothermic? Was ectothermic warm-blooded, yeah? Gives off heat? Uh, I'm not going to answer. Oh, <laughs> We're not no, answering. biology. I think, I believe, yeah, ectotherm would be warm. If, if ectotherm means warm-blooded, then there's your there's your falsity. Uh, I do know that there's, oh, there's a, there's a touch around 10,000 uh, reptile species in the world uh, that, we've, that we've cataloged, you know, more, give or take a couple hundred, I think. So I know that number one is correct. That there is more than eight thousand. Um, well, number two, <laughs> iguanas causing power outages. Um, uh, I don't. That's I, the wild I, I card. <laughs> that that seems like the one. Ectotherm is ectotherm's cold blooded, isn't it? Ectotherm is cold blooded. Yeah. Are you are you are you phoning a friend? Are you, no, are you making you eye contact over there? <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm, casting, I'm casting into the distance. Oh man, it's been so long since I've had to use that terminology. I always just say <laughs> cold blooded. I believe I believe ectotherm is cold blooded. That would make sense. The the iguana one sounds like it's just like a like an opinion based thing. That's a hard thing to measure. And I'm sure squirrels are pretty still devastating. I would say that the iguana's causing power outages is the falsity. I would say that ectotherms are cold blooded, which means most reptiles are, and there's definitely more than eight thousand reptile species. Nice. You Regis, nailed it, that's, dude. That's my final answer, Regis. You nailed it. Uh, you're actually <laughs> right about the squirrels, too. So iguanas are number two. Squirrels are number one. So you're right and right on that, 100%. Oh, right. Right. Ooh, man. You had, Sweet. You had threat on that one, so I couldn't remember which term it was. <laughs> All right. Here's yeah. round two. You ready? I'm ready when you guys are. All right. Here we go. So the first one is there are more venomous snakes in Australia than non-venomous snakes. Number two is the Bramini blind snake or flower pot snake is the only snake species made up of females and does not need a mate to reproduce. And the third fact is more Americans die each year from snake bites than bee stings. Man, you guys dug deep for a couple of these facts. Uh, I, do, <laughs> I, I told you, we had to put to, some more work into it. I was yeah. like, shit, these are too easy for a man. I do happen <laughs> to know that, that most uh, most species of snakes in Australia are elapids and they are venomous. And I believe that it, it's... It is the lactose intolerant or something? El, yeah, elapids. Right? Elapid. What does that mean? Wait. Uh, I don't, It went silent. Oh, yeah. yeah. Same with mine. Hello? Oh, yeah. Yeah. No. yeah. yeah. We got you. We're good? <laughs> yeah. 
Elapids are uh, cobras, cobras and mambas to to put it in in, a, in an easier, you know, a little more layman's term. Cobras and Kobe mambas. Kobe Bryant's and, over there. Exactly, all the mambas and the cobras <laughs> of the world. Um, I know that there's a lot of elapids in Australia. I'm pretty solidly positive that there are more venomous snake species in Australia than there are non-venomous snake species. So I'm going to go with the fact on that one. I do happen to know that the Brahmini blind snake is. Uh, also an invasive in Florida. You can find them in really? Florida. Yep, absolutely. They are not from here, but they absolutely mm. can be These found here. here yeah. And I do know that um, last I checked, science is a very tentative uh, you know, group of people. They like to say that they've only ever found females. Mm-hmm. They like to say that they've just never found a male. I don't think that any – I'm <clears> sure <throat> someone has come out and said there are no males, but I know for – to, to to not be proven wrong, they like to say that they've never found any female or any males. So I do know that they are uh, exclusively female species. Um, and I would have to say that the third one is the falsity because I would imagine that given that there's only about 10 snake, de- snake bite deaths a year in the United States, that more people probably do die from anaphylactic shock from a bee sting. I would say that that mm-hmm. is the falsity. Yeah, you got it right. Damn. You're good? Nice. That's good. Yeah. Wow. Awesome. Two awesome. for two. All right. Let's see if I can oh, stick it. Really do, do other go- do other guests get all of them right? I want to. I want to know. Uh, we uh, had did Ron? I think Ron it. might have got all of them. Yeah, we yeah, had uh, a mentor of mine. Uh, we asked some elephant questions. He started a nonprofit for the Asian elephant. Um, awesome. That's awesome. And yeah, and he's he's like wicked smart, of course, and. You know, he he corrected us on one of our facts, and I was like, "Damn it!" <laughs> um, all right, so uh, round three. Is um, this the final round? How many rounds are there? Final round. All yeah, right. Arguably, the hardest round. I wish. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, so okay, I'll just I'll just read it. Oh, you're not gonna have a problem with it. Uh, okay. okay, so uh, fact number one. The scales of snakes are made of keratin. Fact number two: uh, one fifth of snakes bear live young. And fact number three, which is gonna take that look right off your face: reptiles have sweat glands, <laughs> which gives them their slimy reputation. <laughs> Oh, you know, that's. I, I'm glad that that third one was that third one because I've actually never done the math to see if if, uh, if one-fifth are life bearers. I know that there's – that seems low for me to, to me. Uh, a lot of North American snakes, especially Floridian snakes, happen to be live bearers. I, 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 quite, a, quite a few. All of our North American pit vipers hmm. are live bearers. Uh, Nerodia is live bearers. There's a lot of live I bearers. I it's mostly eggs for some reason. Oh, I guess it is still mostly – I, but, yeah, it, it, I, I guess it would have to be. Uh, a lot of the ones I come into contact with, uh, like day to day, are are live bearers, and like I said, you know, pit vipers, especially what I what I spend a lot of my time researching and working with, uh, happen to be live bearers. But I, I I guess that's a that's kind of a fact I indirectly just learned that uh, one fifth. Nice. They, they think that's the solid sort you know, of. we out here. With. We out here trying to teach people. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I, don't, I can't <laughs> say I've ever put a fraction to it, but okay, one fifth. 
Uh, yeah, no, snakes don't gotcha have sweat. Fractions. Snakes don't sweat, and they are not slimy. So yeah, yeah. Well, that that. that makes me want to talk about though some of the misconceptions about not just snakes but reptiles in general. Um, that was more so just just to kind of bring up this talking point because, as you know, there's not only the fear aspect, but a lot of people that have never handled any sort of reptiles, they just they just have all kinds of ridiculous assumptions about them. Yep. Um, oh, the mind, the mind goes crazy when it doesn't, when it doesn't know things, um, yeah. it has a tendency to try and fill that gap and it's, yeah. and it's, uh, it's not usually correct. So I, I, right. I think one misconception is oh, me and Khan talked about recently. I, I used to think, and I, I still kind of think it is that reptiles don't have like emotion, uh, because you can't see them smile. You can't see them, you know, cry or, you know, they don't show it like that. Um, so I, they don't have it's that's a that's a it's not a black and white question so to speak they experience yeah. emotions you know they are a creature and they are mm-hmm. they they do experience emotions they experience fear they experience <laughs> hunger they experience like so urges it's chemical and, when it comes down to it right ex- exactly and, and yeah. it, it, all emotions can be traced back to they don't have a limbic system which means mm-hmm. they don't experience complex affection and they don't experience complex uh complex social organization but there is social organization amongst reptiles and hierarchies and bonds of sorts but because they don't have a limbic system they can't process emotions like a mammal can Mm -hmm. uh which means that they do not experience emotions the way we would experience emotions but to say that they don't experience emotions is also incorrect because they Mm -hmm. do experience namely fear Fear is the one that I would point to the most, especially when talking with someone who says they don't experience emotions, because that is the one that that they can that humans can relate with a scaly creature the most. You know, when you come across a creature that is that is a fraction of your weight. Oh, I'm hearing an echo. Is that? Did you guys hear an echo? Yeah, oh. I heard that too. Okay. Yeah. It, it went away still working. Yep. It, I didn't, I don't hear it now. But when they oh, come yeah. across a creature oh. that is a fraction of their weight, or, or when they when we come across a creature that is a fraction of our weight and limbless, you know, and their only defense is either escape or bite, you know, that that is they they experience fear. It, it, it is it is something they want to get away from us, and that is absolutely an emotion that they experience because it's a scary prospect, especially when more often than not it ends with them getting their heads chopped off. So yeah, yeah. So with, with uh, like pet reptiles, for example. Um, can you build trust? Like, is that probably the most important thing then because of that fear being the main default kind of feeling or emotion that they have then to, to kind of properly enjoy a pet reptile of any sort? Is it just about building trust? Yeah, I would, I would say so. Um, so I, I don't, I hate to be the, the sort of the naysayer or the scientific Debbie Downer, so to speak, but your, your reptile by its very nature and its, its nervous system is never going to love you so to speak but they you can absolutely earn a reptile's trust where it will it knows that you're not out to hurt it it knows it associates you with positive sensations it associates you with being fed it associates you with not being hurt it associates you with uh you know presence of light and shelter and things that it needs and so as long as as long as you do continue to associate it with those positive stimuli it will absolutely build trust with you and there are 
I mean, they don't have limbic systems, but there's all sorts of anecdotal evidence of people with uh, tegus and, you know, cyclura iguanas and uh, even crocodilians who claim that, that their, their pet had, a, had an actual bond and a connection with them. And, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm not a neuroscientist. That's not my specialty. So I, I, can't, I can't speak too detailed into those anecdotal situations. But uh, for the mm-hmm. most part, trust is... Trust is an important thing to to build if you want to have a positive relationship with your pet reptile. Absolutely. Um, and what is I guess on top of that about assumptions of reptiles? What are some of the just like what what's like the dumbest shit you've heard people say like oh, wow. about reptiles? Oh, where you're just like wow. <laughs> where, where you just like <laughs> where you like grimace true. a little to yourself <laughs> every day. Um, I think the the biggest one that I hear very frequently and every every single reptile person will tell you this one uh the snake chased me story oh yeah the snake it's chased like me parkour story. everybody doing a backflip like, oh yeah yeah exactly the, the snake i was i was fishing on the shore minding my own business i was walking down a trail minding my own business and as soon as i caught wind of that snake or as soon as i caught sight of that snake you know the sky darkened and a cloud came over and you know spooky music started playing and the cur- the trees curled and it started chasing me like it that that didn't happen um and i hate to burst a lot of people's bubble there too but that didn't that situation didn't happen um most likely what occurred in in i, I would stretch it and say 90% of those situations if they weren't fabricated um would be snakes uh, don't if they're afraid and they know where cover is and they know where they would go to to seek escape from you know from your line of sight they're not that concerned with going between your legs or going past you mm. or you know they're not necessarily concerned with going directly away from you so more often than not if you are standing between that snake and its body of water or its you know bush or its hole in the ground what what right. you know whatever it may be that snake will head directly for cover even if it is right past your foot even if it's right over your foot even if it's right between your legs and given you know an adrenal response to seeing a snake that you know most people are afraid of them uh that can be misinterpreted as pursuit they're coming after you exactly but even if a snake was to hold its ground which it'll only do if it seems there's no escape you know if you catch a snake and it's more than 10 yards to any sort of cover that snake there's a very good chance that that snake will coil up potentially even stand up uh, show some defensive behavior but that is the most that will happen it will not chase you and because the definition of chase would be extended pursuit where if you turned and you went away from that animal (laughs) it would continue to go after you and if you yeah it'll make a turn for you exactly and it will not do that there's not a snake species on the planet that will do that there are snakes that will bluff there are snakes that will do what there there are snakes that will do what's known as a mock charge where they'll come like six inches to a foot towards you very quickly, but then they'll stop. And if you don't move, mm-hmm. they will not continue after you. They will do their mock charge and then they will back right oh, up man. or they will try and escape. So as a person, as a regular dude, I don't think I'd, I'd take that risk of waiting. To most, hope. most people wouldn't. Be like, right? I, it should stop. It should stop. <laughs> it's Well, it, it's not even I, – I hate even telling people that a mock charge exists because it, it's, it, it, it almost fuels that – It um, implies that a, a large number of snakes would, would do that as yeah, opposed to just and it's, ducking it's for cover. It's almost never. And if you look right. up – Google a mock charge from a snake and you see what it looks like and you're like, oh, that's not chasing. That's mm-hmm. it. That's it's giving. It's almost a distraction. It's a bluff. 
it's a I'm right. gonna surprise you intimidation with this. thing. Yeah, it's yeah. I'm gonna surprise you with this this brief show of defensive behavior, and the moment I think your guard is dropped, I'm gonna head for that bush. And you'll see that time and time again in those videos if you look them up. Uh, that snake will do its defensive behavior, and then the moment the cameraman kind of steps back and goes, "Oh man, the snake will jet for a bush." It does not want to bite you, if it doesn't mm -hmm. have to. Right. Right. Cool. Um, yeah, that's Beyond that, I've heard uh, – oh, most recently, I heard someone say to me that um, snakes can regrow their heads. Uh, which... <laughs> How is that not the dumbest? That's, that's, that's probably the dumbest, but it's isolated. I've only heard one yeah. one area of people say that, and <laughs> it, it took me – it definitely – I had to blink several times. I was like, what did you just say to me? Um, I had someone I ask so. me if uh, there was a species of snake that was transparent. Um, called a glass snake. Yep. Uh, which there are glass lizards, but there are no glass snakes. And glass lizards yeah. are not transparent. That's just the legless lizard, right? Or no? Yep. Glass lizards are yeah. a species of legless lizard. Correct. Okay. Um, I, I, there's all sorts of dumb things. Snakes are slimy. Of course, they're not. Um, if you get bit by a venomous snake, you're going to die. Like a lot of people seem to think that if if you are envenomated. Uh, it's like a sure thing that you're you're a goner. When in reality, uh, you know, of the oh, I don't want to misquote, but uh, there's there's quite a bit more snake bites in the U.S. every year than there are deaths. Oh, this is Taz. He's a Savannah monitor. Here we go. Hi, Taz. How are you doing? Is Welcome. Taz your uh, favorite um, pet currently? I don't. Favorite's a hard word. I love them all. That's he's, true. He's probably true. the he's probably the one that people are the most interested in, the most impressed with. He's a Savannah yeah. Monitor. Um, okay. He's just about full grown. He won't get too much bigger than this. He might pack on another inch or two. How and, long has he had to tail? Uh, oh, um, I would say he's probably about. Oh, geez, I've only got one hand to operate this lizard with. I would say he's probably about 25, 27 inches, something like that. So he's nice. not small by any stretch, but he's also not mm -hmm. you know, a black throat or a Komodo dragon or a you know water dragon <laughs> right. or something like that. Right. Um, you, you can hold him in your lap still. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's, he's still allowed to. Oh, I'm getting I'm getting accosted with animals now. Um, uh, I love it. The, but the the percentage of people who actually die from snake envenomations, especially in the United States, is incredibly incredibly low. Uh, it's yeah. a fraction. Your survivability is over fifty percent, over eighty percent, over ninety percent with most. With species that you could get envenomated with uh, by in right. the United States, which is not to it's, say that they're not medically significant. It's not to downplay um, the danger of getting bit by a venomous snake, but it is to be realistic and honest about the fact that they are not killing machines. Um, right. And it's mostly like if you're in some sort of really isolated or remote situation, right, where you're not able to get help that you need. That is if the you worst. are, you're pretty much fine, right? Yep. You're not, you know what I mean? You're um, not going to die if you get. To medical a, attention exactly yeah. uh, other factors if you happen to be allergic <laughs> uh if you you know if you happen to be right allergic right to snake venom that's pretty that's pretty rough um if you happen to be very young or very old either or the the neither of those are, are good things but uh if you're yeah if you're a healthy adult male with no allergies you're and you get to a hospital quickly uh for treatment you're gonna you're you're more well more often than not going to survive a snake bite in the United States. It, right. that, that is the case. Um, it, it does, especially because we've we've come up with so much anti-venom research in the last 20, 30 years or so. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it isn't it isn't yesteryear when 
when all you could do was treat the symptoms and hope that the swelling went down. You know, Crofab antivenin in Florida is so effective at treating all five of the uh, pit viper species that we have. It's a polyvalent antivenin that treats multiple species, and it is extremely effective at, at mitigating uh, North American pit viper envenomations, specifically in the southeast. Uh, right. Especially in the southeast, I should say. So what what is, for, for people who are listening and not watching... Uh, you're wearing a large snake like a beauty queen sash right now. Uh, this is, <laughs> what this... is his or her name? And uh, oh, geez. yeah, tell tell us about your snake there. His name is Rufus. His name, his name is Rufus, and he is a Colombian red tail boa. He happens to be a hypo, which all that means is he's a little bit lighter color than his wild type brethren would be. Um, but he's mm-hmm. he's probably a, a touch over five feet long, I would say, or around five feet. And how much he, does he weigh? Oh, not more than. Okay, what would you say he weighs? Six pounds, seven pounds, something yeah. like that. I'd put him somewhere mm-hmm. in the range of six or seven pounds. Uh, he's not too heavy, and because he's a boy, he won't get humongous. He this is close to as big as he'll get. Um, so them hoes get thick, right? Uh, the females <laughs> do. They do. They get. They get very large. Yeah, we do have a female about almost twice his size. Not quite. We, twice. we oh, do. Wow. Yeah, but she, she's in quarantine <clears throat> right now. Anyways, um, she's been. She's a rescue. Uh, from mm. from a situation that wasn't uh, super preferable, so we're trying to uh, we're trying to give her the best that she can get right now. But she's not. So going to keep her, rehome her eventually. We're gonna we're gonna keep her for the for the extent of her uh, her time with us, so to speak. Nice. Um, and we're we're trying to do what we can for her. She's she she's not she doesn't come from a great uh, situation, so mm-hmm. we're doing what we can for her. But she's big. She's yeah. She's very big and pretty. A big gal. Mm-hmm. She's thick with two C's. Thick you know with the double T. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> Just how I like my snakes. Uh, yeah. Any other ones? I think that's good. It's hard It's hard to focus on what I'm talking about with the snake. <laughs> True. Um, anything else you guys want to know? Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, we have one question we usually ask all, all our guests. And uh, basically, is how would you explain uh, sustainability to a toddler? Oh, that's a really good question. I was not prepared for that. How would I explain sustainability to a toddler? You know, like Jack, but when he was younger. Yeah, no, yeah, that would that, that would make sense. Oh, you mean like when he was a toddler? Okay, right. 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 That, Just that's making sure it, that word wasn't the hangout. Yeah, no, that that, that makes it totally different for me. Um, <clears throat> wow. You know, like four, five, that range. I would say that sustainability means being able to do the things that you want to do while you're here and then doing the, being able to continue to do those things for your children and then having them be able to continue to do those things for their children and their children and their children and their children to come. And that would be that that would be the that'd be my definition of sustainability for for a small child. Mm. I so like I, the yeah the the ability basically to continue like like exactly. things that are uh, will be to do the things we like to do and the things we need to do without without in without breaking it so to speak. Mm. Yeah, without breaking it. Without yeah. breaking it for the next person to be able to to share it and continue. That'd be the best 
that'd be the way I would attempt to do to explain it to a toddler. I think. For sure. Yeah. Is that a bad answer? Well, is that a good answer? I can. Yeah. No, that's pretty. Yeah. Good. <laughs> I mean, it was definitely the worst one we've gotten, but you know, it Fair wasn't enough. bad. It was. Yeah, you know what? I like reptiles. Forget you know, forget toddlers. <laughs> I don't deal with toddlers. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, yeah, Chance, you know, we really appreciate your time. I'm personally uh, really looking forward to seeing um, what you start to do with this media stuff. Yeah. I enjoyed talking with you about stuff today, but I know kind of your both personality, but also just the, the you know, in-depth knowledge on this stuff is going to really make for a entertaining and interesting channel that, yeah, I think a lot of people are going to enjoy. So, um, thank you for pursuing what you love and and doing things and inspiring other people, hopefully to do the same. Um, likewise, yeah, I appreciate that. And are are there any last things, I guess, that you'd want to say to, I don't know, people, just people that are young, interested in something or, you know, Oh man, uh, pursue it. You don't get a second chance. Um, you know, you don't, you don't get it. You don't get to end the first run and say, okay, I like, I enjoyed have, playing the safe route. Now I'm going to go follow my dreams. So, you know, you only get the one opportunity. Um, do follow your dreams till you can't follow your dreams anymore because you'll never be, you'll never be dissatisfied that way. You know, you might not be a millionaire, but you'll never be dissatisfied. So mm-hmm. I like it. That, that's, that's what I would say. And any uh, was your Instagram and things to plug? Anything oh, you want people oh, to look the, at? The shameless plugging. The okay. shameless plug. I, I guess. I guess it's about time that I. It's I, called the butt plug. Yeah, yeah. But uh, what's uh, your plug? Uh, so my 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 nature, <laughs> my nature Instagram right now. In case you want to uh, give it a follow, I post uh, as frequently as I can. Usually a couple times a week, uh, new content, and it's mostly North Florida and Central Florida and South Florida species whatever i come across and i try to give some educational blurb about them um and uh coupled with beautiful beautiful photography from my lovely girlfriend uh brandy doobie uh brandy doobie photography she takes all of the 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 gorgeous photos that i would never ever ever be able to take in a million years i'm I'm awful with the camera um that instagram is backyard herpetologist all no spaces all lowercase b-a-c-k-y-a-r-d oh man h-e-r-p-e-t-o L-O-G-I-S-T? Did I just spell that right? Okay, did I just spell that right all together in a row? People backyard, can Google it. Whatever. Backyard herpetologist. <laughs> um, I am opening, we didn't even get to touch on it really, but the first step in my huge conglomeration, uh, the, the my first step in my huge nature conglomeration is actually going to be a commercial retail herpeticulture store. Um, and it is going to be operating as a commercial store it is going to it's going to be for profit but i'm going to use it as a platform to launch all of those other things i want to do i'm going to use it as a as the home base of operations through which i can accomplish all of the conservation goals that that i want to do uh the name of that place is going to be gator city reptiles it should be opening up here in the next month uh in oh where's your uh where's the location going to be is it that where is it? It's going to be on the north side of Newberry Road, right off of I-75. At first, uh, right in that okay, plaza. Okay, sweet. Yep, yep. Um, and so that's I, I, uh, one of my the way I'm going to be describing it basically <clears throat> is it's going to be a a conservation organization disguised as a reptile store. That's, I like that's, it. That's, I dig that's it. basically how it's going to be. Um, you know, a lot of education, a lot of outreach, a lot of nonprofit work. You know, a lot of things like that. But through the medium of something that 
I can make a living at so that it's relevant, you know, so that I don't have to mm-hmm. go to a nine to five and then go do my conservation work. I can do my conservation work from my nine to five. So be on the lookout for that. It's going to have a huge social media presence. It's going to be attached to all of my um, Instagram and Facebook and things like that. So, you know, you guys will, you guys won't miss it. I promise. Super <laughs> exciting. Yep. Yeah. That's fantastic, Absolutely. man. Very, very, uh, inspired to to work harder for my own thing but also awesome. proud of you as a friend awesome. for for doing something that you love so Appreciate that's great thank you bud sweet um so, so for those listening be sure to like comment subscribe do your normal thing and uh colin am i forgetting anything else uh yeah protect your wild Special thanks to my good friend Valleys for our incredible theme song. If you want to check them out, go to Spotify or SoundCloud and type in V-A-L-L-E-Y-Z. 